We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. family time in but we are joined by keith smith he's a contributor for spot track and celtics blog you'll remember keith from he's been on set in the pace about one or two times per year specializes in covering the boston celtics but also covers the league overall we will be breaking down you know the contenders in the east contenders in the league also looking back on the knee smith for malcolm brogdon trade how both players have you know fit perfectly into their new roles we're also going to be breaking down what it was like for Pacers versus Celtics in a couple of games that have been awesome to watch this year. And then maybe just a few awards around the league. But first, I also wanted to get into covering the recent game against the San Antonio Spurs. Pacers dropped this one 110 to 99. Tyrese Halbert was out uh, nursing an ankle injury. And whoa, this was tough to watch. Pacers have now fallen to 2 in 12 in games where Halbert's out. They looked lifeless last night. I mean, after a really good first quarter where the Pacers led 29 to 21, it was all downhill from there. Celtic, uh, the Spurs ended up outscoring the Pacers by six in the second quarter and then outscored the Pacers by 15 in the third quarter. And this is a Spurs team that was without Keldon Johnson, recently traded Jakob Hurdle. I mean, I get it. The Pacers didn't have Tyrese Halliburton, and he is the engine of this team. And that showed last night because – Neesmith, Nemhard, they combined to go 0 of 12 from the field. He also had guys like Isaiah Jackson struggle going 1 for 6. Turner, who had been on an absolute heater, I feel like definitely could have used Tyrese Halliburton out there to get him a few more open looks. Turner had 14 points, just two rebounds, four assists. He did have the three blocks, uh, so that was great to see. But 
this is a game that you're wondering, okay, who's going to fill in for Tyrese Halliburton? Is it Benedict Matherin? Is it TJ McConnell? No, it's actually George Hill. That really surprised me. And where I have a bit of a problem is George Hill played just as much as Benedict Matherin. They both played 15 minutes last night. That's unacceptable. I get it. George Hill, former San Antonio Spur, great to see him, you know, start against his own old team, I guess. But, like, this would have been a little bit more nostalgic in Indiana. We're in San Antonio for this. I don't know why Benedict Matherin couldn't have started, if not played more. So, for Matherin, just seven points, four rebounds, three of six shooting, three turnovers. It's a game that you want to forget. But for someone who was encouraging to see last night, Chris Duarte, 18 points, nine rebounds. He does it on eight of 14 shooting and two of three from three. He logged 34 minutes. Great to see Duarte get his mojo back. Hopefully this is a bit more consistent. And then sticking with the bench, TJ McConnell. Stat sheet stuffer. In an 11-point loss, the man was plus two. He had 10 points, six rebounds, five assists, four steals. Does it on five of nine shooting. Did a little bit of everything. Got to have that respect for McConnell. And then sticking with the bench, Jordan Nwara. Three straight games in double figures now. 10 points, four assists, three rebounds. Nuora has been an awesome pickup for the Pacers. You got to remember, they got three second-round picks with him. And, I mean, I, I know we lost Terry Taylor in the process, and, you know, Gogo was waived, but, like, this was this was a really good pickup. Great to see Nuora under contract for next year. I'm excited about that. And then Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald led the way with 27 points, 12-17 shooting. Um, I know it's, it's an 11 point loss to the Spurs, so it doesn't really mean as much, but, but he was cooking early on 13 points in the first quarter, really cooled off just 14 points the rest of the way. But this loss to the Spurs was just, it was downright tough because the Pacers, I mean, let's, let's think about it. Beat the Bulls right before the deadline, gave the Celtics everything they could handle, beat the Orlando Magic. Beat the Dallas Mavericks. It actually looked like this team was starting to really put it all together. And and I get it. Look, if, if Halliburton's out there, the, the outcome is probably different. I would imagine that the Pacers win this game. But the Pacers did get Halliburton some much-needed rest. I mean, let's, let's, let's take it into effect. The Pacers' last game was against the Dallas Mavericks earlier in the week on February 28th. And the Pacers now, having rested Halliburton against the Spurs, they won't play again until Sunday. So it's almost a week off. It's a good five to six days of rest for Halliburton. I think that's going to go wonders. Um, Pacers also did rest a few other guys. We haven't seen Daniel Tice out there much lately. O'Shea Brissett has been out of the lineup. No Jalen Smith against the Spurs. That was a little unfortunate because Jalen Smith has actually been you know, playing pretty well lately. I mean, the last couple of games for, for Jalen, I thought this was going to be the start of something new. Against uh, the Magic, seven points, seven rebounds, five blocks. Against, oh, sorry, that was, yeah, against the Magic. And against the Mavericks, he had 11 points, nine rebounds, a block, four of six shooting. Felt like he was starting to get in a flow. So upsetting to not see him out there. But hey, guys, I know I'm rambling. It's what I do. So let me step aside. Let me bring on Keith Smith and he's going to hit you with some cold hard facts of what's going on around the league. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, everybody, we are back and we are joined by recurring guest. His name is Keith Smith. You're very familiar with him because you can find him contributing for Spot Track. Keith, what's going on? Uh, it's, it's the nice lull between the trade deadline and the playoffs, so I can really just kind of focus on basketball uh, for a little bit without the offseason looming and those kind of things. So I enjoy this time of the year quite a bit. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, if you're a Pacer fan right over here, we're in that awkward spot where we're already looking towards the draft. We're not quite eliminated from, from the plan or anything of the sort, but we're halfway in, halfway out. But if you're a Celtics guy like yourself, obviously, you know, this has got to be a little bit of the antsy period because you know the Celtics are contenders, but you still got to be able to get to the playoffs first. So, um, Keith, it's been, it's been a fun year. It must have been a fun year for the Celtics because you're coming off of going to the NBA Finals, but Boston never really skipped a beat. Maybe a little bit of a rough stretch at one point, but the Celtics still looking like strong contenders. How's the season been from a Celtics standpoint? Yeah, it's, I think, gone 
kind of as expected with, with, with Boston. I think they have been in a position where they played really, really well. Uh, they are a very good team. There's not a great team, but that's okay. I don't know that there is a great team this season. I don't know that anyone's even going to reach 60 wins this year, which is you know kind of you know crazy when you think about it. It's only happened a handful of times in the NBA's history since they switched to the 82 game schedule. So I think for Boston, they're they're right there. I think they've they've had some ups and downs. They've had some moments where they look like the most dominant team in the league and then they've had moments where it's just uh, they're kind of okay but struggling through things a little bit so it, it's it's been a really good season but in the end nothing they do now really matters it's all going to be what happens when we get into april may and hopefully june for them that that's what people are going to really care about because that's the new bar they've set for themselves exactly and you don't want to peak at the wrong time but you also don't want to go into the playoffs sluggish so you know it's it's a hard line to tiptoe but you know the pacers celtics they've been connected this year because from the trade in the offseason involving Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, a 2023 first-round pick from Boston, and a few other salary fillers. We've now had proper time to be able to digest this trade. How's it been from your standpoint? Malcolm Brogdon, I I think that he's been a great contributor from Boston, but love to hear it from you. Yeah, absolute home run trade for the Celtics. Uh, First and foremost, Malcolm Brogdon has stayed mostly healthy this season. I think part of that is reduction in minutes. He's not starting. He's playing about eight less minutes per game than he played a year ago. Uh, really playing, you know, far less than he did at any point in his Pacers tenure. Uh, I think he's actually, yeah, I just looked. He's, he's at the lowest minutes per game of his entire career right now. I think also a change in role. He doesn't have to be a on-ball, every-possession kind of guy like he was quite often with the Pacers. So I think what that's allowed him to do is stay healthy and stay on the floor. And then production-wise, if he doesn't win six man of the year, I don't really know who's going to. Uh, he's shooting 49% from the field, 46% from three, and 89% from the free throw line. So he's right on the cusp of a 50-40-90 season, uh, still putting up decent assists considering the minutes are down, 3.7. Uh, he's been a solid rebounder as well, and he's really playing some pretty good defense. They, they have gone to these moments where they put him on bigs and basically say, hey, just be solid, just kind of hold your ground, and he's held up uh, quite well in the uh, Celtic switching system. So he's given them everything that they needed, everything that they really needed him to be for them off that bench. And it's really kind of what they were missing last year at the end of the season, because that's they didn't have a guy who could reliably create shots, create his own scoring opportunities, but also spot up, hit open jump shots and like. So it's been a really, really good addition to that roster. I do think that Brogdon has fit perfectly with what Boston was looking to do, you know, improve coming off the bench, I think was a big difference because for the Pacers, you know, Brogdon, he's just not like a, a true point guard. You know, he, he can play either the one or the two. And I think for Indiana, like, you know, they, they tried it out at first and, and he definitely improved from a distributing standpoint. I mean, his first year with the Pacers averaged just over seven assists. It's great to see. But it feels like the role that he's in with Boston better suits him, better suits the team. And then on the flip side of things, uh, Aaron Neesmith is having a career year for the Pacers. I think that for a team that has not excelled from the defensive standpoint, Neesmith has been battling on a nightly basis, taking on you know the tougher matchups, diving on the floor for loose balls. I mean, he, he's been a, a solid three-point shooter. I don't think he's ever going to live up to those Vanderbilt numbers where he shot you know 57%. Uh, his sophomore year from three, 
but he's been a great addition. I mean, what have you seen from afar from Aaron Neesmith that maybe had you thinking, hey, either I always knew he was capable of this or, wow, even he's you know taken a step forward that I didn't expect? Yeah, I think it's been the increase in role and minutes and everything for him. He's playing, you know, twice as much as he played a year ago. And, and I think that's important. I think his ability to hold up defensively in a system where he's being asked to play basically kind of like the four um, mm-hmm. for, for the Pacers yep. as they play really four guards around one big, almost, you know, solely in their lineups uh, this season. So that's been a really big for him. He, he's, I love that he still makes the, the, we, we started calling him crash uh, in Boston because mm-hmm. he, he, he just makes these plays where all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, Aaron Neesmith from out of nowhere uh, for, you know, whether it's to keep an offensive rebound alive or make a big block or, uh, you know, just kick, collect a loose ball, whatever it is. So I think all of those things are good signs. He's his shooting. You, you, you do want it to be a little better because that was his calling card coming into the league. But I think I don't know that he's going to get there unless all of a sudden he becomes a guy who's taking seven, eight, three pointers per game. And he hasn't shot well enough to really earn that uh, yet. So that's kind of chicken or the egg stuff for him. But I think you know, as long as he can play, you know, solid defense. I don't know that he's a four. I think the Pacers yeah. are making the best of a tough situation. I mean, you, you know better than I do. They don't really have a real power forward on the roster, right? So oh. so they're just kind of making it work for now. But I think eventually what you'll see is they rebalance that roster a little bit. He'll slide into a three role. And then you're probably looking at a guy who is a high-end three and D player. And, you know, you hope that three picks up a little bit. But the defense, I think that's going to be there. And the last thing I'll say, too, he's shown some signs, which he never showed as, as a Celtic of being a pretty good ball mover. He's, he's gets the ball moving. He's knows where he's going with it when he catches it. And those are all important things. And you're, that that's what comes right. Cause with the Celtics, he was a 21, 22 year old player. Now 23 years old, he's starting to figure things out. No, he really is. And we were actually fortunate enough to have Aaron on the show this week. And one thing that he did bring up is uh man, he hated that crash nickname. He <laughs> was very vocal in that. He was like, I hated it. So, uh, you know, this is definitely Aaron stepping into a, a new version of himself. Uh, he's had like a career-high scoring game, I'd say three or four different times over. So I know his, his career-high now is 24 points. And uh, the Pacers are actually 9-4 and four in games where he scored 15 or more. So you could see he is like that X factor where when other guys have it going on, if he's that – Third, fourth guy giving you 15 points. It's gone a long way. But, you know, when you're talking about how he's played the four, yeah, they they broke down. He spent a solid amount of time at the two, the three, the four, but it definitely feels that he's far more of a three. Look forward to being able to get him probably into more of that natural spot. But it's been musical chairs at the four. I mean, they -hmm. they started this year with Jalen Smith being announced as a starting power forward before the year started. You know, you've... You've tried Isaiah Jackson there at times. It's just, it has not worked. And I think that Neesmith has given us far more than we could have expected. So that's been great. But another guy that came over the deal, Daniel Tice. Look, he missed the first 55 games of the season, rehabbing a knee injury. The Pacers got to showcase him for about three games before the trade deadline. I don't know what they thought that was really going to accomplish. But ever since that they were unable to move him at the deadline, he's played a bit more sparingly. Do you feel that Daniel Tice going into the offseason now where he's going to have one more guaranteed year in his contract, do you think that's going to be far more appealing to be moved? 
Yeah, I think so. Because what happens when we get into the summer, he becomes what I like to call a, basically a pseudo expiring contract mm-hmm. because there's a team option yep. on that last year. So for the for the Pacers or for any team that acquires him, you're basically taking on one year at nine point one million, and then you're good. And nine point one million for a healthy Daniel Tice is really fair value. That's mm-hmm. that's under the MLE. He's a good solid backup center he can spot start when you need him to i think what you'll see is he's probably going to be a guy who becomes salary ballast in a trade uh that indiana makes where it's you know all right we we want to bring in a player who makes x and we don't you know because they're starting to run a little tight on roster spots Mm -hmm. uh not too bad but just you know a little bit so it's you know all right we're going to move him out and that allows us to bring more salary in or or if they're still kind of in a all right we're still moving things forward but not you know fully ready to contend that could be a nice piece of um you know hey we're going to move him and we're going to do that to uh kind of uh bring in some some more questionable money, I guess. And and that maybe comes with a young player attached or a draft pick or something like that. So that's where I think that probably heads. But you know, if worse comes to worse and they can't find a deal, you keep them and now you've got, you know, I feel like you've got 48 minutes of good center play between him and Miles Turner each night because you know Tice should be you know pretty solid. He he looks like he's just gonna need some time and minutes to find his form after that offseason knee surgery. Yeah, it's it's tough because the Pacers really wanted to stress player development. Guys like mm-hmm. Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson have not been able to get on the court as much as you know fans and even the front office would like to, to say. That, you know, they plan for more on that. But Tice was someone where when it was very noticeable, they were trying to showcase him before the deadline, sure. and it came at the expense of younger guys that needed those minutes. So I do think they look to find a home for him because Pacers do have four picks in the top thirty-one. It feels like, you know, at some point you'll probably look to maybe bring in a a younger big that could be a backup, Um, but that remains to be seen. But moving over for the Celtics, Joe Mazzula. Look, I'm a West Virginia alum, Uh, so Joe Mazzula was on the team when I was a student there, and I've always had respect for him. I have been thrilled to see him climb the coaching ranks. How has uh, Boston viewed the rookie head coach? Yeah, it's it's funny because you have people who I think there's a tendency among uh, maybe this exists in all sports, but it definitely amongst basketball fans of going into a spot where they look at a team and if the team's not doing exactly whatever is they expected them to do, which it quite frankly is win every single game, mm. it becomes a well, the coach stinks. It's all on the coach. You know, it's his fault. He, you know, he's the reason we're not as good as we feel like we should be or whatever they they feel like. And that's always to me, ridiculously unfair. Like, I don't think there's a case to, to be made that Joe Mazzula is not a good coach. I, I, I think, you know, the fact that he stepped in a month ahead of training camp and was basically like, or, or I guess a month ahead of the season, just before the start of training camp, I should rephrase that in, they didn't really miss a beat. They came in, played really well, took off. They've they've you know done things well. Does he have things I don't really like? Sure. I think he's putting a few too many minutes on his on his uh, main players. I think his reluctance uh, to take timeouts at times has hurt the Celtics, and you know quite frankly probably even cost them at times. But those are all things that it's you're getting a little nitpicky he's uh developed an offense where they play with a lot more spacing this year everything is wider that's created driving lanes that's created passing lanes that's created a lot of shots he's emphasizing the three-pointer uh for this group which is you know 
not a bad thing considering the number of shooters that they have. So all around, I think he's had a really successful first year, despite the fact that there are things when you look at it, it's like, yeah, those are certain things that we probably you know, would like to see a little bit better, but it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Because, you know, I, I knew he would be a head coach in the NBA one day, but you don't think that your first head coaching gig is going to be with a contending, you know, Eastern Conference you know, finals, you know, what would an NBA runner up, you know, NBA finals runner up in Boston, you know, you think maybe you get like a, a rebuilding type job and you learn on the fly. And I do think that he has learned a lot, but obviously the expectations are to win the NBA finals. So that's got to be a lot for any rookie head coach, because it's not too common, but the Pacers Celtics, two teams going in very opposite directions, uh, especially when they made that trade. I mean, Boston could easily part with a first round pick that, Looks to be, you know, a very, very late first round pick. Could be 29th, could be 30th that they're, they're sending over to the Pacers. While the Pacers, they're they're stockpiling assets. And one of those players that they were able to acquire last year at the trade deadline, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, what have you seen from Halliburton as he blossomed into an all-star in year three? Yeah, I love him. I, I, I You know, that trade was one that I thought was really kind of funny in a lot of ways where the Pacers got – pretty much universal praise while the Kings got killed. And yep. I repeatedly said like, well, wait a minute, this looks like it was two teams that were in similar spots, right? Just, mm-hmm. you know, not very good, but not absolutely awful teams, but it was, Hey, you know, we don't really have the lineup balance. We like in Indiana, we've got Sabonis and in Turner. We've tried it for multiple years. It's always been a little bit of a weird fit. And then on the other side, it's been a position where you look at the, uh, the, Kings and it was all right. It's a little bit of a weird fix. We were Halliburton and Fox are both really on ball guys and all these things. So they made a trade that I thought was a great win win trade for both. And I think, you know, that's that's shown true now for Halliburton side. I mean, we are seeing everything this guy can be as the primary engine for a team. He's scoring, he's uh, passing, he's setting guys up. I think his defense has been a little bit better this year it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, than it was. I think, you know, I like to see he's uh, engaging on ball a little bit more and he's not getting lost off ball quite, quite as much as he used to. I think, um, you know, the shooting has been really, really good for him, especially I know somebody said to me the other day, well, it's three point shootings down a little bit. I mean, and that's really nitpicky. It's like two percentage points, yeah. but it's that's missing for me. The context of he's the guy now versus other people setting him up a lot, which was happening quite a bit in uh, Sacramento. He's now creating his own looks. Those things are all super exciting. Uh, when you look at him, when you look at his overall profile, because that's what you hope, right? This is the kind of guy who can be your star moving forward. And once you have that guy, that makes getting everything else on the roster that much easier because you've got your building block. You've got your main guy. And the last thing I'll say that is really, really encouraging. It's not a lot yet, but it's starting to build. He's getting himself to the free throw line on a you know, more regular basis now. And that's going to be big for him as he hunts and finds uh, ways to score easily. Cause it is going to get harder because teams are going to lock into him that much more as the primary offensive guy, but all the signs are there. This is all for real. This is all going to stick. None of these are, uh, empty stats where you know he's averaging 20 points on 35 percent shooting it's not anything like that these are all you know really solid good stuff uh good numbers that are put together so i'm really really excited for him in his future uh i mean pacer fans are just ecstatic i think the second he put the jersey on it already felt like 
yep, this is the best point guard that we've ever had. Because <laughs> for a long time in my life, I mean, we were talking about Jamal Tinsley being the guy <laughs> or the later years of Mark Jackson. And it's like, no offense to Mark Jackson, he's a very good player, but it's just like, this is Halliburton, you know, young entering his prime. Yeah, um, so all star already too, exactly. right? Where those guys were, those guys were nice players, but they, they, yeah, they, they never got to this level. The other thing that I think is super exciting for Pacers fans is this is a guy who very much doesn't seem like he's. I got to be in New York or LA. Exactly. Or, you know, he's he was, from the Midwest. Exactly. You know, he was so crushed to leave Sacramento. Right. He really he, was. I thought he was so honest about how I never wanted to leave there. And now you're already starting to hear some of that. Like, Hey, I couldn't have landed. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like Indiana is almost kind of like Sacramento East as far as it's mm-hmm. a little bit slower, a little bit out of the limelight, you know, as far as the, the uh, major cities go around the country. And I think that's really great. I think he's landed in a place where you, I can easily see him being there, being there for a very long time and being very, very happy there. And that's, again, that's going to make everything so much easier for Kevin Pritchard in that front office because now you've got your guy. Now it's about getting all the rest of the pieces around him. And when you can start with a guy like Halliburton, man, that's a great starting point to have. Oh, it really is. I mean, he's from Wisconsin, went to Iowa State, and now he's playing in Indiana, played in Sacramento before. So it's not like a Paul George situation where at the end of the day, you know, he's trying to make his way to L.A. or anything of of that sort. But, you know, for Halburn, I really do feel like he's laid the groundwork as to what you can build upon. He makes everybody around him better, and he's catching the attention of players like LeBron and others that, that are complimenting him or coming to, you know, his rescue saying, like, how could someone label this guy not an all-star or a, a wannabe all-star, as Wally Zerbiak said? So it, it's very evident. So I, I do think that that will help in the future for guys maybe wanting to play with him because you look at the Pacers without him, they're 2-12. and 12. We just lost to the San Antonio Spurs without Halliburton. I mean, that's it's hard to lose to the Spurs right now. This, this <laughs> yeah. is probably the worst that they've been in, you know, before Tim, Tim Duncan, at least. So yeah. it says a lot. But – um, you know, you got to be kind of thrilled knowing that, hey, for Boston, you made a deal that that you didn't lose anything on. The, the Boston can do without Aaron East, but they could do without Daniel Tice. Uh, they could do without that first round pick. However, now, you know, they're also sitting at top with Milwaukee and Philly. Who do you view as perhaps the favorite to come out of the East? Yeah, I've said from the beginning of the year, I think it's Boston and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I, I've always had Philly at tier below those two teams I I think they're very good it's just I don't trust them in the playoffs something is always going on with Embiid and or Harden by the time you get into those you know deep playoff runs so I just they're gonna have to prove it to me before I'm gonna believe that team can make it all the way into June now with the Celtics it's it's they were the best team in the league for three quarters of the season roughly and now milwaukee's right there and i mean the boxes we record this they're on a 16 game win streak yep. they quite frankly don't look like they're ever going to lose again i mean that's just how they're they're playing right now but that's one of those things are are the box peaking too early like well what is happening well here with this be. team and, and they have a very very good team they've got great depth but not only do i think those are the two best teams in the east I think they're pretty far and away the two best teams in the league. Agreed. I, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to go as far as saying the East finals is the real finals or anything like that. That's a conversation we can have a month or so from now on is the playoffs are gearing up. But I think it's one of those things where I look at the teams in the West, not that there aren't a lot of good teams in the West, 
But we could have a conversation and still pick probably five, six, maybe even seven teams in the West. We're like, yeah, I could see them getting to the finals. In the East, it's hard for me to believe it'll be anyone but Boston or Milwaukee. And, and that's the thing is because you look at, at the West and, you know, Nuggets obviously having a very good year, but there's a solid drop off after the Nuggets. The Memphis mm-hmm. Grizzlies at 38 wins. I mean, that would place fifth in the East. And also, just Memphis hasn't been this this group that they have hasn't been to a conference finals. The Sacramento Kings group that they have, you know, that team hasn't been to the playoffs in in sixteen years. Phoenix, you know, obviously you added Kevin Durant, so that that might take a little bit of time. Warriors got to get healthy. Dallas added Kyrie. The Clippers added Russell Westbrook. It feels like the West made a lot of moves at the trade deadline, while the East kind of for the most part stayed pat for the, you know, the, the, the Cavs didn't really do anything significant. The Sixers, I know they moved Matisse Thibel, but it's it, the Bucks added Jay Crowder. So some, some moves were, were done, but it really feels like the East is, is strong this year. Definitely top heavy, uh, but out West. I mean, are you mentioned anyone could come out? Is there someone, are you buying into the Nuggets as the one seed that they're, they're finally healthy now? compared to that bubble team that did go to the conference finals. But is there still something holding you back from really believing? Yeah, it's just that they just haven't done it. They, they've fallen short the last couple of seasons. So it's it's a, a little bit again of, all right, prove it to me. They also struggle on the road. They're, they're a 500 team away from home. They're the best home team in the league right now. But four. Yeah, so – but away, 16 and 15, that's not great, right? And no matter how great you are at home in the playoffs, you're still going to play roughly half your games on the road. So you're going to have to win a big road game. And I think, you know, first round, they better get through whoever they face in the first round. I don't even care who it is, you know, comes through the playing tournament. Because if you're the number one seed, you should get through that team. But second round, and then maybe the conference finals, you know they're going to have to go on the road and win a big road game in a until they do that, I'm just not sure that I want to fully buy into them. I think the Suns are going to be tough. The Warriors are going to be right there. I mean, they're, they're, they've made it through now, right? They're 33 and 30, and they're getting Steph back this weekend. So now they're whole. They're going to move forward. They, they'll start to continue to, you know, I, I don't want to say push up the standings because they're four games behind the Kings, and there's only 19 games to play. So that, that's not great right that it's a lot of ground to make up in that situation but i think you know they'll be right in that mix four or five with the warriors uh with the suns rather and then that means if you're denver you're looking at a second round matchup of phoenix or golden state and that's a little bit like hey congrats on your great regular season now deal with these two teams in the second round and that could potentially be after a first round where it was hey great regular season now you get the clippers or maybe even the lakers with lebron james and anthony davis and it's like man we pushed for the one seed and now we've given ourselves this pretty tough path that's another reason why i'm not fully bought in on the nuggets and i and i do think that while Jokic very well could win his third straight mvp I do think that in order to really kind of cement yourself, you know, further, he does need to be able to push through, get out of the West. But talking about MVPs, Joel Embiid has taken his game to the next level year after year. He's now averaging 33 points, 10 and a half rebounds, 53% shooting. I mean, Philly's looking good, but does it look like he's heading towards his third straight second place finish or, or so? Because what more can this guy do to continuously come up short from the MVP voting? Yeah, unfortunately, the answer is going to be win more, right? Like that's that's the, the challenge, right? They're 40 and 22, which is not bad, but it's certainly not great, 
either where you've got Jokic, his team is in first in the conference and his numbers are right there with Embiid's in every possible measure for being just as good. And that's the huge challenge, I think, for uh, Joel Embiid is every year his numbers are right there, but he's never better than the other guys. I think, too, I think Giannis is starting to get some people looking and saying, or you know what, if the Bucs are going to be this good, he's the engine that's driving this, and he's there. I just wonder with him, is he going to miss, have missed too many games? Are the Bucs going to basically say at some point, you know, we're okay with the two seed. We don't need to win every single game and not push them so hard. And they back off a little. If that's the way that goes, that becomes a little bit of a different thing. But, yeah, I, I think it's the challenge with right now with uh, Embiid, though, is there's just other contenders, and – their numbers are really good too, and their teams are better. That's what makes this whole thing very, very difficult for him. I feel for him because he definitely has to be thinking, what more could I possibly do? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously, look at the tiebreaker. If it's going to be winning, I mean, it's got to go to Jokic there. Uh, but what team's maybe been the biggest disappointment for you this season? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think there there's a couple. The Clippers, for sure. I agree. I, you know, it's just for them to be sitting down around 500 and sitting in the playing tournament as we record this, that's just ridiculous. I, I don't even remotely understand. You know, I, I get the whole load management stuff and throwing games away, but the level they do it at is it's really kind of embarrassing. It, it, there's no other way to put it in this. This is a team where, too, everybody keeps saying, ah, you know, give them time. They'll figure it out. Well, they've got 17 games left and we've only got about a month to go in the season that's not a lot of time to figure things out like that's that that's now we're in problem range uh for for this team so i i'm i'm really just very very disappointed in them and then in the east it's a combination of atlanta and toronto um I thought both of those teams would, would probably be fighting around the top six maybe one might fall into the playing tournament because you know i thought going into the year we had boston milwaukee philadelphia Brooklyn, maybe even back then, I was like, let's know, let's see what the circus becomes. And then I thought the Hawks and Raptors with the Heat were right in that next grouping. And they just did the, the inconsistent play for both sides. Neither one of them has had a you know massive run of injuries or anything that's caused them to fall off. It's just been, you know, Toronto offense stinks and they can't figure it out. Atlanta's defense isn't very good. And just night to night, you never know what you're going to get out of those two teams. So those are, for me, those are my most, you know, kind of disappointing teams compared to where I thought of them coming into the season. Yeah. You know, I'm with you. I definitely thought the Pelicans could have been better kind of ca capitalizing off of how they finished last year. Yeah. They're currently one game below 500, obviously, you know, Zion having injuries. I mean, it makes a big difference. But to see what they did last year without Zion, I really felt like would make a, a bigger difference this year. But Clippers for me, just very disappointing. I mean, this is even a team that made a lot of moves at the deadline. Eddie Mason Plumley and, and Bones Highland and Russell Westbrook, and they've lost four straight. So yeah. that's that's interesting. And then with the Lakers, look, I think we all didn't think that they would be good this year. I think that was kind of known, like, hey, they got to make some moves. And they finally did, but now LeBron goes down. So that's tough. And then another team that you didn't mention, I, I don't think anybody expected the Chicago Bulls to be good, but they sure. are a team that just did not do any upgrades at the deadline. I guess they signed Patrick Beverly, you know, after he was bought out. Yeah. Alonzo Ball's hurt. Vucevic, I believe, is heading towards free agency. They yep. they likely owe their pick to the Orlando Magic. So I don't know where that franchise is going. But to your point, 
Toronto just never got off to a good start. And then when I thought they would be sellers at the deadline, they were buyers bringing in Jakob Hurdle. Yep. <laughs> so I just don't know what they're thinking. Clearly, even though guys like Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet could be heading towards free agency, maybe they got a plan to keep the group together. Not really sure, but there's definitely been some very disappointing teams. And I would say maybe not that many surprises outside of Sacramento, I would definitely say, has been the big surprise team. Other than that, I guess I'd probably say the Knicks have played really well this year. Who would you say has been your surprise team? Yeah, you mentioned two of them, Sacramento and the Knicks for sure. I think the Cavs being as good as they've been is is you know, really good to see. that They've been one of the better teams in the East where I thought they'd be kind of fighting in that play-in range. Um, you know, maybe make the top six, but they're, they're going to be there for sure now. And then I think it's – They've both stumbled here a little bit, and they now look like they're turning more towards development. But Utah and Oklahoma City's seasons that they put together were really, really strong for a long time Mm -hmm. uh, with those two teams. That was very unexpected. I think we all thought, all right, they'll be all the way down to the bottom. I I know going into the season, it looked like, all right, well, we're probably going to have a couple teams that are kind of bad but not really trying to be. That's kind of where I had Orlando, Indiana, um, Portland, and then it was like, all right, but OKC, San Antonio, Houston, Detroit, Detroit, I had more in that probably bad, but not trying to be group. And then injuries just wrecked them, but you know, Oklahoma city and Utah, they've played their way out of that and played really solid basketball for most of the year. Now you're seeing they've both made trades. They've now get some guys out with injuries and that has turned into a whole, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, situation where they're starting to slip and slide in the standings, but you know, really fun years for the two of them. I mean, if someone told you that Utah was going to be one game behind the Clippers for seventh yeah. at this point of the season, I mean, you you would say there's just no way. You would have assumed Kawhi was out for the year. Exactly, or right? that's yeah, what I was exactly. going to say. Like maybe yeah. no no Paul George, no Kawhi, anything of that sort. But yeah, Utah ended up making the right move, being sellers, and you know what? They still might make the play-in tournament. We'll see what happens over there. I, I'm sure they probably wouldn't be too thrilled about that, but the Lakers, you imagine that they probably push forward, get one of those, you know, seven to 10 spots. So we'll see about that. But the last thing I have for you, look, Pacers and Celtics, Keith, they've had some great battles this year. <laughs> Unexpected battles. I mean, the Pacers took one, you know, earlier in the season, I think right around December. And then recently was just, that was a an awesome game that the Celtics narrowly escaped. I mean, what was your thought? Because I always love getting thoughts from someone outside of covering the Pacers. Like, what are your thoughts when you're watching maybe a team that was not expected to contend, given the Celtics all they could possibly handle in a couple of games this year? Yeah, I, I think it's the Pacers can be a hard team to adjust to playing because they they play that weird four out style um i know they've slowed down a little bit it seems like especially after halliburton went down and maybe rick carlisle was trying to control the offense a bit more um but when they're there and healthy and they're running up and down the floor they're doing everything they can to get you to buy into a shootout uh with them and quite frankly it's not a bad strategy because they can shoot better than most teams can and i think that's been the thing that's been really kind of you know interesting i think in both of those games i i think for the celtics you know they lost the first one at home 
uh, to, to the Pacers in uh, late December. And then they won uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, in Indiana. They've got one more to, to come in Boston before the end of the season. But I think in both of those games, what the Celtics really kind of figured out or maybe remembered was, you know what, let's just send everybody to the offensive glass because these guys can't keep us off the boards. And when they started doing that, that's when they kind of imposed their will and took over a little bit. And in that last game, the, the biggest play was Jason Tatum getting a big tip in, which kind of clinched the game in OT uh, for Boston, if I remember correctly. So that's, that's I, I think Indiana's single biggest weakness is they just their defensive rebounding is awful oh yeah not to be unexpected right because you're again you're playing four guards around one big and the one big is not like uh prime you know bill russell out there grabbing 30 Mm -hmm. rebounds a night i mean miles turner is a good player but it it you know all-star level rebounder he's not that's not what he is so i think that's been something that boston has you know tried to you know refocus on but yeah they're just a difficult team to play um you know when when you see them i think they'd be interesting to see if they did if somehow were able to you know reverse course here win in the play and get in the playoffs i think a team would adjust to them after a couple games and be like all right this is how we have to play them but when you're kind of popping in and then you're playing these these i like to call them these weird teams that play weird style of basketball sometimes those teams have a huge advantage because they can just make a bunch of plays that you're not expecting to be made because they play in a weird way mm-hmm. we were in that classic stamp uh, classic spot where could beat just about any team any night but could also very well lose to any team on any given night and that's kind of what we just saw with the loss against the spurs but also having just beat the mavericks before or giving boston everything they can handle but then coming up short against you know the the detroit pistons or the orlando magic those teams in the league it's happened yeah. all season so uh, Keith, the last thing I got for you, I need a finals preview from you and who's coming out on top. All right. So my pick preseason was Celtics Clippers. I, I'm i going to stay with it just because I don't like to change my pick. I don't feel good at all about about the Clippers side of that pick, um, but I, I won't change it. They haven't. It's not like they're you know out of the playing tournament or anything. So I'll stick with that. I don't feel very good about it. I don't think they'll be the ones who gets there. But I picked Celtics over Clippers, so I'm gonna ride with that just in the spirit of accountability. Even though I don't feel great about the Clippers half of that pick. Hey, I, I appreciate your loyalty to your initial gut, uh, you know, pick. So. We'll see what happens, and like you know, I got I got that soft spot for Paul George. At some point, would like to see him win. Um, you know, I'm not one of those that wants to root against him. So, sure. hey, if he ends up getting a ring, great. But other than that, Keith, I definitely appreciate you coming back on. Always a pleasure to have you on. But please tell everybody where they could find you out on social media. Yeah, you can find me at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. You find uh, a lot of tweets there and a lot of uh, links and all the stuff that I do. Uh, you can find me there. I'm on uh, Spot Track writing, writing for Celtics blog, writing for the SB Nation main vertical, as well as the NBA front office show, which Trevor Lane and I co-host, and we we do that Monday through Friday and all sorts of news and notes and everything. And we're starting a brand new th- this week. Actually, we're going to do uh, once a week live shows, which are all going to be completely Q and A shows for for our fans and viewers and listeners to kind of pop in and just send us questions and and we'll go from there with that so we're, we're excited to get that started but yeah i appreciate you having me thanks so much absolutely guys make sure you check out keith and uh you know some of the awesome content that he's putting out there but hey keith until next time i appreciate you thank you all right we are back shout out to keith smith coming back on the show keith has been uh 
He's been a loyal guest of ours for for quite some time. I feel like we usually have him on once or twice a year, and just someone who's very knowledgeable in the NBA space, but also in specific, you know, the Boston Celtics. And I figured, hey, look, we've had enough time to reflect on that Brogdon Neesmith deal by now, and uh, always fun catching up with Keith. But hey, as we log off over here for the weekend, I hope you guys enjoyed some of the awesome content we put out. We had Caitlin Cooper on, we had Aaron Neesmith on, we had Grant Apseth. Keith Smith, I mean, just an action-packed week over here, and we ain't done yet. So if you're looking for more content, you could check us out on social media, on Twitter, at SettingThePace3. You could find Alex on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram, at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. You can find us on YouTube, at youtube.com slash SettingThePace, a Pacers podcast. Check us out over there. We got some awesome videos, especially if you want to see, you know, what's going on with Aaron East, but that one will be up soon. So uh, very excited about that. And then at the end of the day, if you were absolutely stunned that the Pacers dropped this game against the San Antonio Spurs, hit me with the let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast.